Okay. Let's now look at the next slide, which is mindset weaknesses. Research also shows that there are certain weaknesses to be aware of that successful people minimize these weaknesses. The first one is a need for approval, a need for approval weakness. Now, a need for approval weakness is interesting. This is where, at times, you and I, as human beings, when we put too much value on what someone thinks of us, when we put too much value of what someone thinks of us, the fear of man, so to speak, that we too care about what this person thinks and what they're going to say, and it stops us from making the appropriate decisions, and it stops us from pursuing our goals for fear of failure, whatever it is. Um, Now, it's important to have healthy relationships. It's important to build and to protect your reputation, right? You need to have an integral reputation in the community. That's important for everyone. But you've got to make sure you're not swinging the pendulum so far that you become crippled and afraid what people think of you and therefore you don't step out and go for something and go to achieve something. So need for approval is something that you always need to minimize. The next one is a lack of self-awareness, if you can write that down. Now, a lack of self-awareness, this is interesting. This is about talking about being okay with recognizing your blind spots. Can everyone say blind spots? So usually there's two levels to self-awareness. The first level is actually being able to be very, very open and clear with what your weaknesses are. For a couple of reasons. You want to know what your weaknesses are so you can try and manage them so they don't become a big liability. But you want to make sure you're aware of them so that you're not blind to them. There are significantly a lot of people who are very blind to their weaknesses. They're not, they're not aware of certain things that they're not doing or that they don't do at all. Or, you know, and so that's a lack of self-awareness. That will hold them back from being successful. But what's interesting is there's a second layer of self-awareness. Because, you know, at some point in your life, if you want to grow, you have to answer this question. Well, what are my, what are my weaknesses and what are my strengths? That's kind of a basic self-evaluation. But the next level is interesting. And I want you to think about this. What is a strength that you have that if overextended can become a weakness? Because this is the next level of self-awareness. Sometimes people have that first level. They're aware of their weaknesses and they're aware of their strengths. But they're not aware that their weak that their strength, sorry, overextended becomes a weakness. So for example, I know because my personality, I'm dominant influencer. When I'm in a training or a coaching situation, I know that I've got to be careful that if I overextend on my dominant, okay, I can become too pushy, okay, or too domineering in a setting that's not going to make me effective. Sometimes when I'm with people, I'm trying to get people motivated to get things done. I've got to make sure that my uh, dominant isn't like a wild brumby, right? I've got to really put the bit in its mouth, put the saddle on its back and really rein that thing in. Otherwise, that strength overextended becomes a weakness. I want you to think about, think about a strength in your life that if you push too much on it, it actually can make you less effective. That's great self-awareness, and it's a great way to improve. The third weakness that successful people think about and minimize is what we call the lack of emotional control weakness. Now, with the lack of emotional control, have you ever been in a situation where you know you probably shouldn't let your emotions bubble over, but you just feel them like, like a volcano, the lava is just starting to seep out? 
And have you ever, ever had a situation where not only does it start to seep out, but you just explode and it just erupts and it just starts flowing, right? Or have you ever felt like you're in a situation and you can feel the lava starting to arise, but you're really trying to keep it together? Okay, so this is the type of thing when we're in situations, a lack of emotional control. Now, I talk about three ego states that really helps. There's three ego states when it comes to emotions. There's what we call the child ego. Everyone say child. Then there's the parent ego. Everyone say parent. And then there is the adult ego. Everyone say adult. Now, the child ego and the parent ego are both examples of when, you know, you're in a position where you're kind of lacking emotional control. The child ego is more the victim. Like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Like, seriously, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you say that to me? Right? Now, obviously, you don't usually talk like that, but that was just a character to add some illustration there. The parent ego is still emotional, but is more kind of, rather than whinging and being the victim, is kind of putting you in your place. I can't believe that you did that to me. How dare you? Right? Kind of putting someone in their place. Of course, no one here has ever experienced those two egos. <coughs> then the adult ego is more the rational ego that may be feeling those things, but has the ability to try and you know, uh, be more at that mature level, okay? So successful people, okay, they're sh- successful people are human beings. Again, they're not robots, but they get better at this. They're not necessarily perfect, but they get better at this. Now, if your natural temperament is, may- is more laid back, you may not have as much of an issue. If your temperament is quite passionate and fiery and you're kind of up and down, then you may have to work on this a little bit more. But it's interesting because a lot of successful people who tend to have a lot of dominant in them or influence in them actually really have to work on this. So what's important is the adult ego is someone who stays more rational and has, has that ability to kind of process the situation without the emotions bubbling forth. And I want everyone to write this down for me. The best tip in building your ability to actually remain in the adult ego, to be mature, is in a situation when you're feeling annoyed, frustrated, is to actually be the person that's asking questions. Be the person that's asking questions. Because if you ask, and they have to be open-ended questions, and the motive behind the questions is to seek first to understand why this person's feeling this way before you're trying to be understood. Okay? Now, what I'm giving you right now is a, a massive key to a lot of marriage counseling, actually, but it applies to life. This is a big key to successful marriage counseling. So what we're saying is when someone comes at you with an adult ego or a parent ego, or if you want to lash out, right? But if someone comes to you with an adult or a child ego, naturally your response is to respond or to react via a child ego or a parent ego. If someone's like, oh, why me? You might want to go, well, it's not my fault and come down at them with a parent ego. Or if they're a child ego, oh, why me? Then you might be responsing with the child ego as well. Well, stop you whinging every time you whinge. Right? So we can either respond. If someone comes to us with a child ego, we want to respond with a child ego. someone comes with a child ego, we want to respond with a parent. Usually if they come to us in an emotional state, the natural human response is to go back in an emotional state. And that's where um, successful people are very good. They know that their ability to get a better outcome relationally or any type of situation is to understand that I need to be mature with my emotions and if someone comes at me as a child or as a parent, I need to stay in that adult uh, ego and the way to do that is to ask questions, open-ended questions 
Now, the questions, what you're doing is literally, I'm, I promise I won't get too gross here, but what's happening here is this person is vomiting out their frustration in whatever way, okay? Have you ever been really unwell and you know you just need to get it out of your system, but when you can't get out of your system, you just eat, it's an, and the, when you're able to get out of your system, how much better do you feel, okay? So the same is true emotionally. Sometimes when someone's emotionally vomiting on you, right, the research shows that successful people actually, they don't react to it, they don't go, oh, how did you dare you do that? That is what, oh, okay, all right. So um, tell me more. So when you're saying this, what, what do you mean by that? Vomit more at me. Like get it out of your system. The open questions, it helps them. What happens is the more you ask them questions, the more they get it out of their system. And it actually helps to transition the person from the child ego and the parent ego to the adult ego. And then you end up having this more rational, logical conversation without all that lack of emotional control. And you get a much better outcome. Who thinks that this might help them? Okay, good. Now, obviously, we're talking about some of the principles. It's a whole different story practicing that one, okay? So practice makes perfect with that one, definitely. Okay, so we've talked about mindset weaknesses. Let's have a look at this last slide when it comes to perception. Okay, interesting. If we have a look at this last slide on perception, excuses versus victory. So on the uh, left-hand side, you can see the green. My success is reliant on my ability, my training, my luck, and my effort. That right there is usually the mindset of someone who has mediocre success in their life. Because usually they're saying that only 25% really um, has got to do with them. Ability is, oh, well, I'm just not talented enough. Oh, I just don't have the skills. I'm not good enough. Is that type of excuse? Or the tra- oh well, I, I just I've never received the training, or I've you know I've never really been educated, or I really don't know what to do, or I'm not sure how to do that, or um, yeah, I've had no experience with that. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Yeah, look, I'm just really unlucky, and you know, it just just didn't happen for me, and I just didn't have the luck. And then you know, yeah, effort I probably could have. Whereas successful people realize that it's actually all uh, effort. So for example, if you don't have the ability, then Google it. Have you noticed that everything's on Google these days? Do you know, I love this one because now I'm coaching and, you know, the age that we're in, there is not, nothing that you can't learn about. If you don't know how to do something, then Google it. Watch a YouTube video. So you shouldn't be someone who goes, oh, you know what? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I've never done that. Excuse, excuse, excuse. And it's lame. It's lame. So we need to break through that. Um, training. Well, again, you know, you can get training, find a mentor. There's no excuses, really. Um, no excuses at all. Luck, well, that's just, you know, if you believe that luck is the key to success, um, you're going to keep believing for a long time because it really isn't anything to do with luck. It's about taking uh, ownership of what you do with the opportunities that you have. Uh, and effort is, is a big one, okay? So it's interesting because this is actually a study um, of the mindset of parents to do with high school students in the United States. And so the mindset of parents whose students didn't do very well is the green. Oh, my child didn't do very well because they don't really have the ability. And, you know, they, they, didn't, they, really, they didn't really get the training. We couldn't afford a tutor. And, um, you know, they had a bit of bad luck. They got the flu and, you know, and, you know. But successful students, their parents, their mindset was... Well, you need to keep 
working. You need to keep working harder. You won't get a better result, so you have to put more effort in. You've got to keep working. You've got to do it. Now, we know that it's important not to be a person who strives and you're not a robot. You're a human being. You've got to have balance in your life. But can I say this? Make sure you've got the pendulum swing in the area that needs to. Can I say this? Work ethic is one of the most important things to have in life. Work ethic, right? Uh, <clears throat> being able to focus and work hard if you're really hungry for results. Who believes that today? Awesome. All right, let's look at this third ingredient, process. Uh, what's interesting about process is we're talking about uh, key steps, a step-by-step process to follow to be successful. Um, now, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to write another equation up here just to highlight this. So a process is a step-by-step-by-step-by-step process, certain steps. And what I love to do is simplify this. So what I say here is results in your life equals the right activities plus... the right amount of those activities. So usually when people aren't getting results, it's usually because they're either not doing the right activities or they're either not doing the right amount of those activities. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the really ugly word of habits. Usually we've either got the wrong habits, not the right habits, And if we have got the right habits, we're not doing them regularly enough is usually the key. It's got a lot to do with what you're doing on a daily basis. If we're going to have a look at this next quote, I love this because this relates to process. You will never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. Your daily routine. Who believes that? Your daily routine. Okay, so let's break this down. We'll have a look at the next slide. We'll look at this principle, which if you've ever read Stephen Covey's book, a lot of what we're talking about today called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is very much a big part of the flavor of the presentation today by Stephen Covey. Um, It's one book that I probably recommend to all of my clients. It will cost you $30 in any Australian bookstore. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about first things first. So when it comes to first things first, it's about... When we looked at purpose, have the end in mind, but actually start to break those things down into what you're doing every single day. First things first, I want to talk about the absolutely important topic of time management. I find a lot of people struggle with time management, and so we want to start to unravel how to help you with time management, and it comes down to habits. So this is about not only having the right success mindset and not only having clarity about what you want to do, but how do you break that up into bite-sized pieces? So when it comes to time management, there are certain things that make us not good at managing our time. One of those things is distractions. What do you think would be the number one distraction every day that research shows in the Western world is the biggest thing that eats your time management away? No longer the TV, it's related to, yes, uh, Byron, I think you just held up the, the smartphone. That smartphone, okay, Instagram, social media, emails, text messages, um, checking your phone messages, so some of the traditional stuff, some of the, okay, are we ready? Okay, 
Research shows it will actually steal at least, this is a minimum, everyone write this down, 90 minutes a day, minimum. That's not the amount of time you spend on social media, right, where you actually sit down with a cup of tea and go, I'm going to surf Facebook for two hours. Okay, we're not talking about that. We're talking about every day, research shows, most people will lose, everyone say lose, 90 minutes a day of effectiveness and efficiency in your time just because you're distracted when an email pings into your phone or a text message comes in or a private message on Facebook or you're scrolling through and you click on um, some type of an article and then you look at that Facebook. It's called fractured, fractured, fractured focus. It's a massive epidemic in the Western world right now that's stopping people from being effective in their daily routine. Now, this is a minimum of 90 minutes, an hour and a half. And you think about it, you think, oh, yeah, that's actually quite realistic. I would probably lose about 90 minutes a day in being distracted. Because what happens is, is we're doing something, whatever it is, and then ping, we check our email. Do you know that there's, an, there's a, what we call the thumb addiction? Do you know people just scroll? They've just checked their emails 30 seconds ago, and then they go to check their emails, and they've just checked it 30 seconds ago. Do you know that there's a thumb addiction? Right? You may be looking at me going, really? That people are that bad? Yes. That's why uh, you know, people sometimes are being hit by cars when they're crossing the street because they're just so addicted to their phones. But the average person loses 90 minutes a day. Now, let's imagine that this is just happening during the, the, the weekday because the, holo- the, you know, the weekends are a little bit more flexible. So let's multiply 90 minutes by five to work out how much is 90 minutes by five. 450 minutes a week we lose. Now, let's multiply. Let's say you have four weeks holiday, right? So let's multiply 450 minutes by 48 weeks. Who can work that out? Someone be as quick as you can. 450 minutes a week by 48 weeks a year. Someone shout it out. Sorry, what was that? Yeah, that's what I thought. 21,000, yeah. Yeah. So 450 minutes, which is per week, 90 minutes a day times five by 48 weeks. So 21,600 minutes in a year. Okay, now let's work this out. So um, how many hours? Now, I know we don't necessarily work um, 10 hours a day every day. Some people do. But let's say the days that you're usually productive, okay, an hour in the morning before you get to work, a couple of hours at night, then you might veg out. So let's say 10 hours out of the 24, you're productive, right? So 10 hours a day, all right? But we have to work out how many minutes that is, right, per day to work out per day or how many days we're actually losing. So 10 hours times 60 minutes, that equals 600. So someone divide 21,600 by 600 for me. Okay. Everyone say 36. What the research shows is that you and I, we lose 36 days a year. 36, not, that's days. 36 days a year. And that's working days. 36 working days a year just because of distraction to do with our smartphones. Everyone say, "Uh uh-oh. Okay. So that's more than an extra month. And that's if you're just on the average. So what happens is, is we get distracted and we don't get anywhere near what we could have got done compared to what we should have got done. And this is a thing that successful people master. What I'm about to show you is there's whole day workshops um, around the world on this and people pay lots of money to learn this skill. So you get it for free. Is anyone excited? Okay, good. All right. So when it comes to time management... 
The first key that people are being trained on right now to break through in this fractured focus is you need to shift away from being what we call um, what we call being inbox led. Okay, inbox led is being distracted by all these little things. Okay, we need to shift away from that to being what we call calendar led. So write that down for me: calendar led or schedule led. Now the key to start doing this is who here actually uses a calendar or a diary? Okay. Let's reverse it. Who here doesn't use a calendar or a diary? Put up your hand nice and high. Okay, all right. I'm going to politely encourage you, okay? If you don't use a calendar or diary, you need, you need to make that change, okay? For whatever reason, maybe, you know, you grew up as a hippie from Byron Bay and you've been rebelling against the calendar or diary. Whatever, whatever there's a reason, okay? Whatever the reason is, okay, don't, don't take responsibility, okay? Evaluate. And today, your big takeaway is you can no longer afford, if you really want to be someone who is a good steward of your time and wants to maximize everything you can out of life, you've got to take responsibility and you've got to be calendar-led. Because like money in your world, your time is a precious resource and to manage it properly, you've got to be organized. Okay? Is that okay? No one's got offended? We don't have anyone running out of the door? Okay, good. All right. So, no more excuses. Okay, you've got... Most phones, you can put a diary on there. So if you're not like a, you know, if you're not a paper kind of person, that's cool. Everyone should have a diary. Now, this is the thing. You want to create four recurring things in your diary every day. This is the first thing to help you. The first thing is you want to have what we call your very first activity every day is your to-do list. Okay? Now, if you think that this sounds nerdy, can I encourage you politely, get over that. Bill Gates was criticized for being nerdy in high school and look where he is now, okay? So nerdy people usually end up being successful, so you need to get over being nerdy, all right? <coughs> to-do list, okay? So the, the to-do list is something that you should uh, have from about 15 minutes to 30 minutes <coughs> the beginning of every day, whether you grab your tea or coffee and you just do that. You're brain dumping everything out of, out of your headspace. We'll show you in a minute more detail. The second thing is what we call your to-do list review. And you have that as your very last thing of your working day, okay? And that will go for 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Then, this may sound funny, but you've got to put lunch in there. Do you know research shows that when people that don't actually sit down and take a proper half-hour break, you're less productive over a 12-month period, okay? So give yourself permission to have lunch. If you're at work and you're kind of working at your desk or whatever you're doing, if you go business at home, you've got to take a proper lunch break. The next thing is <clears throat> the most important one, which is what we call your inbox processing appointment. Now, what we mean by your inbox processing appointment, I know it sounds a bit corporate, but inbox means this is the appointment that you give yourself permission throughout the day to look at your text messages, look at your social media, read your private messages on Facebook, read your emails, respond to them, check your, your, your phone answering messages. And usually they will go for 15 to 30 minutes each and you'll have between three to six of those in your calendar. Now we know that there's a little bit more flexibility here required at times because you know if you're expecting an emergency email or something like that, then you're going to look out for it. But this just gives you a focus around not every time something pings into your inbox do you look at it. You only look at things, you only check your text messages, you only look at your Facebook at certain times throughout the day to minimize fractured focus. And this is how it works. How it works is this. Every day when you grab your tea and coffee and you do your to-do list, you basically brain dump everything that's in your headspace that you've got to do, whether it's to do with your family, to do with your finances, to do with your work, whatever it is, and you brain dump it. 
When you brain dump it, you get a series of bullet points. The next thing that you need to do is, out of all these things that you've written down, you need to make sure you prioritize the category. So there are three main categories that we work with. The first category is what we call it's urgent and important. The second category is important. Important. But not urgent. And the third category is urgent. But not important. Now, what's interesting is this. In life, we usually always get these things done because they're screaming at us. And we usually also get these things done because they're screaming at us. And the one key thing that always gets put on the back burner are things that fall into this category. Unfortunately, that's why people are nowhere near as, as successful as they could be because usually these things are the things that create the leverage that help you to break through. So, for example, something that's important but not urgent for me is working out physically. For years, I kept putting it off because it wasn't urgent. All right? Um, another thing, too, that's important um, is maybe goal setting, planning, reading books, different things that are important to you. You might need to go and do a course, whatever it is to help you to break through. A lot of the times, this is where we fall down and we don't get to those things that actually are the key to helping us to break through. In fact, Stephen Covey says this, when people don't write down the things and schedule the things that are important but not urgent they usually won't get done. When people don't schedule things that are important but not urgent, they usually don't get done. And that's what limits their success. So once you've categorized the things on your to-do list, then your responsibility is you want to get them off your to-do list and you want to get them into your, into your diary. So your first responsibility is to get these into your diary when, when you're going to do them and get, get them off your to-do list. So they're in your schedule. Then you want to get number twos in your diary whether it be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the next week, wherever you're going to allocate time to get that thing done or chip away, you actually schedule it in your diary. And then the third thing is interesting. If something's urgent but not important, you want to first determine, is there anyone on planet Earth I can delegate this to? Okay. I love my wife because I get to delegate things to my wife. She's awesome. Okay. But she also gets to delegate stuff to me. Isn't that cool? All right. Zara's too young to delegate stuff to her yet. But there's different people in your world that maybe... But sometimes you can't delegate things. So remember, delegation is not abdication, all right? There are some things that only you can do, and just because they're urgent but not important, which means they're screaming at you, but there may be just fiddly things that aren't really going to create great leverage for you. Um, They still have to get done. Usually things that are urgent but not important are things that people need from you, which are maybe important for them but not necessarily important for you. Okay, but they're urgent because there's a deadline to it. Something that's urgent and important is there's a deadline to it, but it's important, it's going to help you with your goals or your life. But a lot of the times things that are important actually don't have a sense of urgency. You can put them off, you can procrastinate, you can hesitate, and that's the risk of not moving forward in life because you're not managing, managing your calendar. So the good thing is, is we get that first appointment every day. If you can create a discipline to sit down for 15, 30 minutes, get everything out of your headspace, just brain dump it, put a one, two, or a three next to it, then put all the ones somewhere in your diary, get them off the list, then the twos, and then think, can I first delegate this to someone? If, if I can't, then and only then do I put it in my diary. Once you've done that, half an hour into your day, 
Now what you do, and this is what I do, is I print my calendar out, okay, because I like a hard copy in my hand so I can use a pen and a highlighter. But if you don't like paper, you've got it on your iPhone and you become calendar-led. So the next thing that you've got that next day, which is work, whatever it is, then you do that. Then <clears throat> the only times that you're not doing whatever's actually in your schedule, and again, you can you, you know, you should do this on Saturdays and Sundays as well, but <clears throat> is your inbox processing. So you'll have inbox processing throughout the day where you're now giving yourself permission. You have an appointment to give yourself permission to process those things. And what this means is it limits this. When you're actually working on something, if an email pings into your phone, because it's not an inbox processing appointment, I'm not going to go and look at that. I'm not going to go and look at that text message. I'm not going to go and reply. Oh, Facebook, I just got a private message. I'm not going to be distracted away and have my, f- my focus fractured. And now I'm doing all my social media stuff and replying. And I've got to come back and think, now, where was I doing this? And multiple times we have our focus that keeps getting fractured multiple times throughout the day. And we're losing at least 90 minutes of effectiveness. And that's a big problem over a 12-month period. So, when we lose that time too, it usually means it's eating away from the time that we should be investing into this stuff. So, then we have our lunch. And then at the end of the day, we do our, um, our to-do list review. So, you look at your calendar. This is what I do. Before I finish up, I look at my calendar and I go, okay, did my to-do list, did that appointment, did that, did that project, did that, uh, processed my email, did that. Oh, hang on a second. I had that in there. But an emergency came in. I didn't get that done. So what I do is I take that out and I put that somewhere else in the week so that I, it doesn't you know, get off my radar. And then I write in there in my calendar what actually I did do. I had to put this fire out with this client, whatever it was. So then what I can do is at the end of the month, I can look at my calendar and I can review exactly what did I do day in, day out, maximizing my time over a whole month. And I can keep evaluating and improving how much more I can better maximize my time. And this is what successful people do. Who here likes the idea of getting to the end of your life and not having regrets? Right? There's dreams, there's visions, there's purpose inside of you. And it's important that you maximize your time because your time is such a precious resource. Can we have a look at the next slide? I want to talk about also the importance of being proactive. And when it comes to proactivity, one thing I want to talk about is just a couple of things. Not only being proactive with your time, but this is about process. This is about the steps. You know, when it comes to habits, one way to break habits is to be coachable, to allow people to speak into your world. Don't be so stubborn and think that you know everything, right? I think most people, by being here today, it, you it's clear that, um, you know, you want to learn, you want to grow. So make sure you are teachable. Make sure that your body language isn't, you know, so closed off. All right? Make sure you're open to people. Also, invite accountability in your life. So Richard Branson was interviewed, and the journalist said, so tell me about a life that doesn't really require accountability. I mean, you're so rich, you're so successful, you don't have to report to anyone and he said, well, actually, I'm going to stop you there. He said, I, I had a season where I did that. And he said, it was the, the least successful season of my personal life. And then Jill said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had a whole season where I didn't have anyone holding me accountable. And he said, I didn't do very good at all. He said, I, I now pay people to hold me accountable. He has about three or four people that he pays to hold him accountable. And so you've got to invite accountability into your life. Being someone who's very proactive 
is someone who doesn't make excuses and will actually invite people to say, hey, you know what? What you just said there was as a, was an excuse. So accountability is something that successful people love because it helps them to be successful. When you've got a deadline with things, when you're helping uh, people to hold you accountable and you're coachable, it's, it means that you're just genuinely proactive. You want to get things done. Let's go to the next slide. This is interesting here. It says, focus on what you will do, not what you won't do. Focus on what you will do, not what you won't do. And then it's got these terms towards versus away. You know what's really interesting about this particular slide is a lot of times people are not successful because they allow their process to be affected by just focusing on what they want to get away from rather than what they want to go towards. I've used this analogy quite often when I do training and coaching. And a lot of people enable them themselves to feel like a zebra surrounded by lions. All, all these things that they've got to get done and, oh, I, I'm just so overwhelmed and, and, and I just don't know where to start and, and um, I, 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 I don't want to do that yet because that just seems too overbearing. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go there and, 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 and I don't want to do that yet and, 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 and I, I'm not, not sure about that. And so when people focus on what they're not going to do or they won't do, they've got what we call an away process. They're more focusing on moving away from what they don't want to do rather than focusing on moving towards what they do want to do. Whereas people need to have a process where when you attack your day, you need to be someone who's more like a lion surrounded by zebras. And you're like, I'm going to take that on. I'm going to go towards that. I'm going to go towards that. I'm going to get that done. I'm going to get that done. I'm going to get that done. That's the, that's the process that successful people use. So it's important that you focus on what you will do, not what you won't do. Big part of your process. Let's have a look at this last slide before we move into the final point. Decisiveness. It's about progress, not perfection. You know, when it comes to um, <clears throat> being someone who makes decisions, I find a lot of people won't make a decision to step out or do something because they're afraid they, you know, of, of making a mistake. Can I say this? Make a mistake. Make a mistake. Step out and make a mistake. Progress before perfection. Get it going. Get onto it. Get that engine turning. Get it. Jump in the boat. You know, move forward. Start. Uh, this is one of the things where paralysis analysis will cripple you and it will stop you from breaking into what you're called to break into. So before we go into the last part of the presentation, the, the summary really is the first key to success of this success equation was all about uh, your purpose, having real clarity about who are you, what do you value, what do you want to do, and planning around that. The second one was all about perception, your mindsets, your beliefs, making sure you're sharpening your mindsets for success. And the third one is <clears throat> really making sure that you have a clear process, that you break things down, you manage your time, you're attacking things daily, and bit by bit, you're utilizing your time to get things done. That's the process. Let's have a look at this next slide. So I did mention at the beginning that there was a little bit of a mystery element that I wanted to share with you. And, uh, you know, interesting about this missing ingredient uh, that we're going to talk about is it's a core ingredient that I think is really, really critical to success. This missing ingredient for my own life, it's been the most fundamental ingredient to success in my world. And so it's a privilege to share it with because I think what it does is it helps to with the other three things that start with P. We talked about a purpose and... Um, perception and process, this missing ingredient 
is the thing that solidifies and makes all of those things fruitful. And, uh, you know, what I'm talking about actually is something that also starts with peace. Let's put up this slide. I'm talking about power. Now, not my last name, Brad Power. Okay, but I'm talking about something that's bigger than yourself, uh, something that's bigger than your own humanity. And what I've noticed in my world when it comes to success is that even though you can use certain principles, there are times when you, in your own humanity that you and your own humanity is actually not enough. What I found is, is that in my own life, uh, there's been levels of disappointment, frustration, um, despondency, fear, that I've needed something bigger than myself to get me to break through those things. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about things like the power to overcome, the power to break through, the power to actually overcome some of those deepest disappointments that you've ever felt in your life, the power uh, to be able to break through bitterness, to break through levels of unforgiveness. I'm not going to ask this question, but I know every human being has experienced betrayal. People have experienced levels of, of defeat, frustration, where sometimes they feel like they just can't get out of that place. And so what I believe is really critical to success is what we call this element of power. And um, the power that I'm referring to is actually so real, so powerful that I want to talk openly. I want to share my story. Let's have a look at this next slide. This actually is a shot of me. I know. Oh, I think it was the vocal response there. Oh, yes. This is a shot of me at uh, 20. And for those of you who don't know, I studied business and journalism, but I was also studying acting. So this was a, uh, like an acting shot that they did, but it was the season that I was at acting school. The age of 20, uh, what was interesting here at this particular point in my life, people didn't know, but I was someone who is inc- incredibly broken on the inside. I uh, wasn't confident. I had no real uh, purpose at all. I was very, very confused in what I was supposed to do. A lot of things in my life had gone wrong. I'd made some incredibly, incredibly bad choices. I was over my head in debt. Um, I was addicted to drugs. I was uh, taking uh, speed and ecstasy uh, every single week. I used to, I was smoking a packet of cigarettes a day. I had relational tension in pretty much every relationship from my family through to my friends, through the people that I was living with. My whole world was incredibly frustrating. In terms of perception, I basically thought that I was a failure. I was a loser. I had thoughts that were dominating my mind every single day around how I wasn't going to be able to, to be anything, wasn't going to be able to get myself out of uh, where I was at in life. When it, when it comes to process, I couldn't manage my time. I couldn't manage my finances. Um, I was having to borrow money from flatmates just to pay the rent. It was an absolute struggle in life. But yet I had to put this brave front on. And uh, I knew on the inside, I had a real desire to see my life turn around because I knew that I was purposed for more than what was going on in my life. And yet I felt so alone and so frustrated because I just kept making every bad decision after bad decision, which made my situation worse and worse and worse. Literally, I got into such a bad hole, I knew that I couldn't in my own strength get myself out of it. And so the key to my story in terms of this whole presentation around success and talking about power, is I had to uh, search for something that was a much much bigger than myself, my own humanity. And so there's a couple of things that I wanted to highlight about some things that I was looking for. So we'll have a look at this next slide. This search that was going on on the inside, uh, the first angle is the things that I needed to gain. 
there were certain things I really wanted to change in my life, things that I wanted to gain. So we'll read them out. I needed to know there was a lot more to my life. I needed the power to overcome the limitations of my own humanity. That was something that was really critical. I needed something bigger than myself to help me to succeed and break through. And I wanted help that could give me victory and make me feel undefeatable. Who likes the idea of feeling undefeatable? And so there were certain pains that I wanted to, to, to deal with and get away from. I wanted to get away from the grip of depression. I just couldn't shake it. And on the surface, I was trying to be as positive as I could. But the reality on the inside was far, far different. I wanted to avoid the despair of addiction. I wanted to stop seeing myself as a loser. And I wanted to break free of the habits and cycles of debt, relational tension, and unforgiveness that was going on. And so I found myself wanting these gains and wanting to get away from these pains. And can I tell you this? I found myself at the age of 20. On the eve of my 21st birthday, where I had my drug dealers lined up with all my drugs to bring to my birthday party and all my friends to take lots of drugs. Uh, on the eve of my 21st birthday party, I shut myself in my room, very broken. And for the first time in my life, I said this. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I really need to know about it because I'm stuck in a place and I can't get myself out. So God, I've never cried out to you before, but if you're real, I need to know. I need you to show up because I cannot turn this situation around myself. Now, can I tell you, I had never been a religious person. In fact, I'd only been to church twice up until that point, once for a wedding and once for a funeral. The idea of church, God, Jesus, was completely like not cool. I was an acting student. Everything was cool. It was all about being cool. But in that private moment, that very lonely isolated moment in my life, I closed that door and I said a very honest, heartfelt plea to something bigger than myself. And I was crying out to the power of God. I really needed something supernatural to enter my life. Well, what I want to share with you is just two days after that prayer, I had the most amazing experience where my flatmate, who interestingly used to be, uh, she'd changed then, but she'd used to be a, a stripper. She was Brazilian. Uh, great, she was a great dancer. But she'd gone through a breakthrough in her life where she had had similar things. And she'd invited Jesus into her life and had an amazing turnaround. So I shared that I I'd, <clears throat> you know, had this plea to her. And so she started to talk to me about God. And then she asked, could, I, could she pray for me? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And as soon as she, she prayed for me, I actually opened up my heart. And I said, God, if you really are alive, I want to know, let me know. Can I tell you in that moment, there was just such an amazing encounter that I had with God. Right? This is this broken boy who wasn't into religion, wasn't into church, was sitting there in his living room, absolutely having the power of God come in and uh, an amazing way touch his life. So much so that that weekend I actually went to church and I sat in a meeting like this. And at the end of the meeting, someone who was speaking actually invited uh, if anyone here wanted to give their life to God. And I actually responded. Can I say to you, when I responded and I was prayed for at the, at the end of that meeting, that there was such a powerful touch of God that came upon my life that from that day onwards, uh, I, I had no real need to take any drugs. Uh, in fact, it was such a, a supernatural change right there and then that I, I gave my life to God. So I want to go to the next slide. What's interesting about this particular topic about the power of God 
is it's so uh, evident to me in my life that not only when the power of God came in was it, was it so critical, but if we talk about these other things, when we talk about purpose, when I invited Jesus into my life, my, the purpose in my life became so much uh, clearer and I had more direction. I, for the first time ever, did I understand who I was and what I was called to do. And that helped to just free me of so much of the limitations. The other thing too is uh, my perception started to change about myself. And bit by bit, my thought life uh, changed and I became a lot more confident. The other thing too is when it came to process... Uh, when I was talking to God, God gave me key steps to follow to help to get myself out of all of the trouble and all of the frustrating situations and starting to break through to the point now where I can gladly stand before you and say, uh, since then, which was 18 years ago, I'm now 38. I've been happily married now to my wife, Sarah, for 10 years. We have a two and a half year old little girl and uh, all the situations in terms of, uh, you know, I'm confident, know, know who I am, know where I'm going. But also what's important is when it comes to things, the practical things like the debt, uh, God was able to give me uh, ability to, to break through and that, show me strategies. We now have a successful business where I'm able to clearly uh, bring these same principles to people's lives and help them to be successful as well. So I just want to say this to you, that as much as these uh, principles are very effective, as human beings, there's always a limitation on our own humanity. And there's always something bigger than ourselves that we'll need to sustain us and position us for real, true, lasting success. I'm going to ask, uh, just as we reflect on this, I'm going to ask um, Jason and Sarah to come just to position themselves. But <clears throat> as we listen to this song, Come to the Altar, I might ask Chris just to help uh, with the team, with the setup as well. I'm going to ask everyone just to stay seated. If we could have minimal movement around um, the auditorium, that'd be awesome. And what I would like to do is I want to share with you also a couple of other things. When it came to um, that prayer that day, can I say this to you? That uh, I had gotten to a point where I could no longer ignore the fact that even everything I tried to do, I tried to be as positive as I could be. I tried to uh, get more uh, organized with certain things. I tried to hang around different people. But what I found is, is that the decisions that I'd made had led to a place where I knew that in my own humanity there had to be something more. And so I want to encourage you, just as these guys just sing a song, just want to encourage you, as everyone stays seated, just to reflect on everything we've, we've covered so far. And then at the end, I'll come up and I'll finish off. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.